Hello, Jacob. Welcome to SenseBase Continued from before the recording. Yes, cool. Yeah, thanks for having me. See where this goes, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, well, you're now the third person from the Rebel Wisdom wider uh, network to come on. I had right. Charlie and Ali on as well. So it's, I was just kind of thinking about how much of a sort of personal inflection point that retreat uh, we were on together was for me. And um, you were kind of my group's facilitator. So that's how we met. Um, you do a lot of other interesting stuff as well. So, yeah. I like to think so, uh, more and more, uh, <clears throat> which is good. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's quite rich at the moment in my life, it feels like. Uh, the questions that, that I'm, I get the privilege to work with, um, you know, the people I've been meeting also in the, last, uh, in the last years since moving to London from Berlin, where I, like that's two years ago, where I used to live for about six years. So, so yeah, it's, um, it's been good, uh, good going here. So it's, uh, it's interesting times as well. So. Is it a different kind of quality uh, flavor of like the scene of people that you're able to, to sort of tap into in London? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, in Berlin, it was much more that it was online. Um, you know, I was already part of these networks and so mm. some, some people that I knew were a bit more warm already, but, um, you know, throughout history, where I first used to hang out, like through the Zen community, integral community, you could say, like also part of that in the US, and seeing that kind of evolve and the people growing up and develop. And, um, <clears throat> and yeah, and some some you know having their own iterations of themselves and a lot of them like kind of had entered this space that you and i are kind of both keeping an eye on you know this is still a weird corner of the internet i guess but it's gaining momentum and um yeah i think that the that when i moved to london you know here and especially through rebel wisdom who i kind kind of entered through you know by befriending <coughs> ali and david and um and having these conversations that's where i really yeah started started getting getting to know more and more people um that are also active here so so yeah. there's been there's been quite quite an yeah quite interesting you know as they say we're still in the process of like finding the others and uh, to some extent that is true but there's also been various phases to that and i think when i entered rebel through rebel wisdom it, we're, we were still pretty much yeah, in the beginning phases of that, you know, like, oh, there's a podcast there popping up and that person writes this in Medium. And mm. um, so, yeah, that's, uh, and now I feel we're kind of moving into a different different place. But uh, I don't know how you see that. So, Yeah, I get this like visual image of a kind of like a gathering together and then like a sort of ascending um, momentum um, sort of in the individual's. I mean, it's kind of like, it's a mixture of like personal development combined with concern for like understanding the world um, at many levels and um, kind of transcending the, the current polarities, being able to talk about all domains of, of understanding and controversy. Um, at a level which meaningfully speaks to everyone, plus trying to answer the 
the very sort of central question of like the death of religion um, in the Western world and how to tap into sort of deeper um, intuitive capacities and source energy within ourselves and in the context of community. So I don't actually, I'm actually not very fond of the, like sometimes when we talk about the men's work and the men's um, masculinity, like rethinking masculinity stuff, it can get a little bit like down an alley road. Sure, yeah, yeah. I guess, and it just becomes about that. But I feel like um, that is like a good starting point, especially because your second name is Mench. Um, huh. what, what is the kind of, you know, I was thinking recently, like what's the road, like in our culture, it's just like you become 18 and now you're a man, you know? And there's not really a sense of, well, you've reached the age of a man, but you haven't arrived at manhood. And what, sure. what might be the, the ways and the kind of the development and that kind of thing that, that kind of makes up your understanding of what that is? Yeah, you, you're talking of coming of age, I guess. Um, well, I... I I don't know if I can answer it for myself. Um, I mean, I come from a culture where, where that message of what a man is, you know, Holland, I grew up in Holland. And um, what that is, is was, was quite implicit. You know, it wasn't so much in my case said like, this is what a man is. This is what he does. Um, it wasn't like that at all. Um, Mm. So I, I never felt that pressure so much and also not, of course, legally it was, yeah, 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 18. Okay. I'm a man, but I think biologically I felt I was growing up, but was I then actually, you know, mature? I've kind of always held that question and, um, and I'm actually still holding it, you know? So I think <laughs> what, a, yeah. And, and coming back to your question, like, what is then a man? Mm. Um, that just also keeps changing. So it's definitely a process that is not finished. I can tell you that, you know, when, uh, when I, yeah, when I hear your question, um, I think, I think the path for me and, and maybe for everybody is just like, uh, is fucking up, you know, <laughs> it's just one mistake after another <laughs> and, and learning from that. Um, you know, we got to deal, we got to really navigate and learn to navigate the testosterone interface with the world. You know, that is like one thing um, that has various iterations and also like, you know, depending on, on the love question, relationship question, um, coming into your body, which is not easy, at least for me, it wasn't. When I say, yeah, it was quite a journey, I think. The first thing, you know, um, about having to be a man is like, is dealing with having the body of a man. And that's what I meant also by having, having testosterone, <clears throat> but also in my case, the, you know, the, where I grew up, I developed some developmental trauma around emotional, uh, my emotions, the ability to connect, uh, trying to compensate uh, through love seeking, you know, like uh, just going after what was salient in, in well, sometimes in more 
lusty ways that I knew I was actually, you know, looking for something. Yeah, f- trying to find something essential. So f- trying to fill all your holes. And I think, um, yeah, growing up is like that. You know, you, you kind of start to understand what you're compensating for and what you're seeking on the outside. And um, having engaged in spiritual work, it's... Um, it's mainly working through that stuff. And in my case, you know, they sometimes say what you don't understand, you have to live. And so you see it, you know, sitting on a meditation cushion maybe, and then you can start to practice it. But if you don't see it in action, you know, when you're so identified with all these lacks, then, um, then yeah, you, you, are, you have to live it. And then you have to kind of follow the path of mistakes and learning the hard way is... Uh, my experience so so it's been that um but again in my case the the that question of what is a man or who am i as a man has never been very pressing it's um not through that lens you know Mm. more like more like yeah just just a human being of course experienced as as um and life as a human being experienced through the body of a man so I would say more like that. Um, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, there's a lot of things opening up there, but I'm feeling like that invitation to... Sorry, I'm all over the place. <laughs> no, no, no. An, an invitation to reformulate the question itself is what I... was the main thrust of what I'm getting from you is like, rather than... I mean, the, the question, what is a man, is actually a very kind of closed and short and... Um, like the very the very nature of the question is imbued with some of the issues, right? Sure, uh, yeah. Whereas we might ask, what? Well, we could move that from what is to what is the potential of, right? And then probably well, we could it, we could develop an even more sort of um, intuitive and mysterious kind of, of way of formulating it, but. True. And I think a good start is, is changing the question, right? Like, what is a man? And then adding to you, what is, what is a man to you, right? Then it becomes personal. Then it already is like, oh, wait. Um, instead of making it a, an answer that is true for a collective, and that is always problematic, right? Um, where they become norms, etc. Uh, versus having a question as an individual and having to figure it out because then truth immediately becomes dynamic. And <clears throat> if you want to, if you want, you know, yeah, earnestly hold that question, then, then it's very much along the line of what I just said. And as Rilke also said, you know, you have to hold the questions and, and live into the answer. And I think that is very true. And you can never arrive at the truth of what a man is then, you know, and even, even like I think, what, what is a human being? So it always works both ways. And, <laughs> and in my experience is the, the interesting thing, if you really live it and go through these, yeah, work with it through the mind and um, deconstruct through that, like what it is not, right? What is it not? You deconstruct it and you wind up with like, not answers, at least not like, one that you can put on the wall, but um, but a, but a lived experience of the emptiness of that those concepts, right? So <laughs> that that's how I feel it. So and coming back to the question, right now um, I, I I'm becoming more and more, um, funnily enough, being invited to 
events, you know, where I'm asked to be as their, like, as a masculine presence for some reason. And because we want to work with polarity and people that I hang out with, they want to work with the polarity and being able to have this agency and sovereignty in relationship, right? Which is very important. And then it is seen through the lens of masculine and feminine polarities. But even though I've become more fluid, you know, sometime when I started reading David Data, when I was like in my early thirties or something like that, then it was very much this idea of, yeah, here's a man and I can do that. But now I just feel, you know, when, when there's a masculine essence and, and although there's definitely a truth to that, but more and more, and I know I have a masculine essence, but it's actually been quite replaced by the fluidity between the masculine and the feminine. So the net result is, is that I feel quite neutral, to be honest, you know? And, and so it's quite funny coming back to the question of like, what is a man? Like, oh yeah, you know, it's, it's like I have to remember myself. Uh, yeah, there's a kind of like, way. Yeah. <laughs> but it feels like there's a, there's a way in which like both men and women can kind of start out from a position of um, having a limited notion of who they are and having that imbued with all of the cultural components, um, expectations and pressure right. and incentives and so forth. Um, and just physical embodied realities and how that shows up, you know, the experience of being, uh, a 17 year old girl and a 17 year old boy is going to be palpably different, especially, hey. you know, and it's going to change at different stages, but developmentally, maybe, um, you know, perhaps, a woman who's got a real relationship to the feminine and to the intuitive and is very good at um, understanding other people's emotions, but perhaps she's um, got more of a um, disconnected relationship to the masculine, something to do with her father. Um, um, and so, the, you know, the feminine element may be more chaotic. And so for her, it's more of a, um, an integrating of that kind of part that is disconnected, however it is just from cultural experience or from family or whatever, integrating that. And then she's kind of coming up with her integrated masculine and feminine ongoing. And you're coming up as well. And then you're meeting each other at a place where it's like, it's not like there's a kind of sense where some of the directionality of social justice right now is getting away from getting away from gender in a way that like kind of completely does away with the sort of embodied reality. And mm -hmm. what I'm getting from you is more like we kind of both integrate all that, the parts and kind of transcend ourselves, meet one another. And then there's still going to be this like, you know, I'm a man, you're a woman and that's, but it's going to be more like playfully, um present and you're going to be more present to it uh and you know sort of higher levels of communication than most people uh, who get married at a young age don't you know they kind of just get the set of a package of skills from their parents sure yeah move it on a little bit down the line and then that just becomes how they're going to live with their partner for the next several decades um there's a lot that could be that. Yeah. Is there a question in there? 
I guess, yeah, and the one other part that was really felt salient is like, yeah, the relationships to women, that's pretty important. And because that's kind of tied up with your relationship to love, relationship to your sexuality, which is key to your embodiment, right? right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A friend of mine once said, like a Buddhist friend of mine, he said, um, yeah, relationships are the highest yoga. I don't know where he did it get from. Where he got it from, but but yeah, there's certainly a truth in that, right? I mean, I think I think when it comes to relationships, and at least it was in in, in my case, um, you don't always get what you want, but you definitely get what you need, and um, and that what that need is 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 very much dependent on like yeah, what your destiny in life is as well, I guess you know, and how interested you are in development and openness, and um, I mean. For me, it was a real tug of war between wanting of uh, trying to get what I wanted versus what I needed. You know, the the, the drama is um, is in between. So I always learned. I, I, well, at least you know, I forget the name of this book. It was coming apart together. I forget the author. I read it years ago, but she basically said relationship is is a real. Um, it's always a learning, you know, to the soul. It, it always has to, there's always implicitly something in there that you have to learn. And for me, that was very much true, but I didn't understand what I was learning while I was in the relationship. You know, what I've shared before is, is what you don't understand. You have to live. So, so there was a lot of living through relationship and, um, and in each one I, I had to, you know, in retrospect, I saw it like, oh yeah, that was what I was learning. That was what I was learning, you know, like for example, how the conditionality of my own love and my giving, I had a, I had a relationship which was very difficult and I had to constantly, actually, this is a good example of masculine feminine dance at which I wasn't skilled, but you know, she was, she was needy. She was uh, struggling with mental health and I, <clears throat> And I constantly had to shift between like a mothering energy in my essence, let's say, which is more masculine and be mothering and giving, you know, and, and because she would oscillate in her moods and, and her needs so fast that I, I became confused between the two, you know, like the, the poles, where am I hanging out? And, um, and I sacrificed a lot in that relationship, you know, and I didn't get it back. And, and then when she eventually broke up with me, you know, which was then, I was, I was really fell with a feeling, uh, lost, uh, left with a feeling of like, Oh my God, I did all these things for you. And, and now you just leave me like that, you know, and for another guy too, it was like really, really quickly. And so, you know, and that's when I really sat with the pain and I saw, Oh my God, yeah, this is just about the conditionality of my own love. And this is something that I used to judge my own mother for like really, really, you know, badly. Um, that, that, you know, which was kind of damaging in that way. But I had internalized that aspect of her, see? And that was just being worked through. And, um, and there's just one, of exa- one example of like what I had to learn in other relationships. It was I had to learn to fight, right? Like I had one <clears throat> girlfriend who was great again, you know, seriously, I'm, um, I'm really grateful. I, see, I don't see these relationships as failed at all, like, nothing of the sort you know it's like a few ones that are mm, questionable but you know but but no the, the the meaningful ones were were yeah great learning experiences of course so 
So yeah, like I said, some I had to fight and some I had to see, you know, that my love was conditional and others I just had to open to love where everything was right, which is also like sometimes very, very difficult. Although we think that's what we want, right? <laughs> but when you actually get it and it conflicts with your self-image of being worthy of love, then um, you're, you're in again for trouble because, because <clears throat> yeah, you know, receiving love is not part of the ego structure that is uh, more in a seeking mode right so that's a way of expression right seeking seeking for love and trying to get your ego gratification and bodily lusts lustiness it's fine i'm like when i'm curious how that landed with you <clears throat> um, there's a lot there just initially kind of feeling like wow this is actually quite important what like what you're doing rather than what you're saying is like something that we culturally have a huge difficulty doing um just like talking about the process of all the shit that you go through in order to figure out that there was something wrong that needed to be addressed um and that very often is in the context of of your relationship with the other sex um, yeah. and like who you know who at the bbc who at channel four is you know publicly speaking about the intimacies um of their lives in a sort of contemplative way and you know people are still gonna fuck up and have to fuck up but perhaps yeah you know That's... if i had heard this from you a couple of years ago i might have um sort of wised up to to things patterns that i was stuck in and stuff like more quickly um so i welcome it welcome more discussion of it and it's like bringing out more of the like so much of our so much of the sort of nebulous violent mimetic cloud that this podcast is like slowly streaming into is, is just, you know, it's like battling over information. And mm, the yeah. way that we can get away from that is bringing the personal element, but that requires a vulnerability. Um, and, it, and, it, and vulnerability requires knowing yourself and, right. and experiencing what those things are to the depth that you can then speak about them and not just be completely overwhelmed because you yourself have never had the chance to address them. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's very, very astute and it's super resonant with my own experience as well as like you get, and I think it's something that's been afforded to sort of our generation more than any other generation before. Is what one of my, I was talking to one of my female uh, friends and she was telling me like, you know, sort of our parents' generation and prior, mm. the expectation of marriage came so quick. Um, right. You're 18, maybe 21 as a man. Um, oh, for sure. You didn't have this like... That was very different. This weird sort of liminal developmental period between finishing university and you know, settling in a long-term, long-term relationship. So people can, people, you know, we can go through like three, 
or four meaningful relationships in our 20s and in the course of that like all you know each new person is like a dynamic um relational sort of energy which like reveals and brings out different parts of yourself and so therein, therein lies the source of the development really because they could actualize and call out the good things and they could also um very likely do have traumas corresponding to your traumas um sure. and i've sort of i mean there's a whole sort of <laughs> metaphor like temp like trans temporal understanding of uh, reality which comes when you like tunnel down into yeah into the nature of that phenomenon but just just to be able to talk about the reality of it is super important yeah yeah and especially the point you brought up you know in, in some ways our traumas are always related right like in the relationships and um <clears throat> there's just another kind of truth i think at least it comes close and true for me is like if you if you can be narcissistically wounded you know, you are going to be. So as long as this narcissistic wounding is there and you haven't healed it, it's going to be touched by the world. You know, unless you're so avoidant and thick or you're very rich so you can afford yourself a lifestyle of avoidance, you know, that is, that is unhelpful. But um, I think it's difficult to hide in a relationship, you know, unless you, you're both numb. But if it's, if it's real, then, um, yeah, then that happens, what you just said. And what I also picked up on what you said a few minutes ago is you said, well, if I, if, if I heard what you just said, like a few years earlier, I might've caught on and, you know, and especially that word might, because we're always where we are. So we, we can't hear like the messages from the future, right? Like, unless you're very perceptive <laughs> and, and, then, and even when you're perceptive and you're kind of on the lookout for wisdom, right? But, but even then you can't hear it. I mean, and what's even worse, when you're already learned, you've read many books on personal development, so you know things already intellectually, but you haven't reached the maturity to have to deal with that kind of particular issue. And then you encounter and yeah, I got this, you know, and you kind of gloss over it because like the mind, actually your, your smarts make it so that it slips unnoticed and it goes <laughs> much more easy to shadow. So. So here learning about things and development and stages and shit that can come up and that other people warn you for can be quite counterproductive, I find. So, I mean, especially in spiritual practice, you know, which I've kind of been on a path for over two decades, like it's especially the spiritual truths that uh, tend to get in the way when you mm. understand them intellectually, but, but when you're, you know, stumbling onto it, um, especially the warnings around ego <laughs> then it um you know it's always like oh yeah i got this i i know it and you read about it but it's, it's the map is not the territory as they say and um <laughs> and that's very true so <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. be careful with the maps right there's a sort of um there's there's an interesting sort of dialectic of progress or something like that wherein mm. like you know you learn you know you release a trauma or you learn a new wisdom and you've developed a wider perception of the world and more intimacy with the world and the people in it um more relationship to truth but then with each new one it's like sort of the the breadth and depth of world that you're exposed to and wrestling with is more 
So it's never reaching the point of like, oh, it's all like chill. But (laughs) (laughs) sometimes you have a period sometimes where you're like, oh, yeah, you get to hang back a little bit. There is a progress. There's a, you know, there's more of a a richness, um, more of a sense of um, like unknown but meaningful directionality. Yeah. Um, Right. And so this is almost this is kind of convergent with the idea of emergence um, in some way. And I, I want to talk about what it is you're doing sort of with your organizational stuff. Yeah, sure. Read it in and then it's going to sort of bend back in some interesting way and come together. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, so you're working for Emerge. Is that right? I, I work, for Emerge, um, let, me, let, me, let me back up. I, I'm employed by Perspectiva, which is a research institute um, based in London. <clears throat> and, and we're basically about, uh, the short version is, um, our tagline is System Soul Society. So we are looking basically at our, the systems, um, how they relate to our inner worlds, how we enact all this um, back into society. You know, so we look at how these things relate and um, Perspectiva is a, uh, you know, we, we have a few names for the project. One is an urgent 100 year project um, that says something about the, the time scales that we're thinking on. on. Another is a, a rogue bunch of intellectuals. You know, there many of the people in the Perspectiva field are um, not traditional academics you know it is a research institute and there's obviously very bright people but um but not not traditional academics so and i can i can talk about perspectiva more in in detail later but uh, to get to emerge uh first is to perspectiva there's also a um like let's say a social element um as part of our theories of change and uh, and that is the emerge project so which is partly a network it's a media platform which is headquartered in berlin so there's a website you can go to it's www.whatisemerging.com um and that and that actually is more about built upon the premise of emergence and the state of the world that we find ourselves in you know with this current level of complexity where you just can't do um, to use uh, a sense-making framework like it's it's a it's no longer a complex space, but it's a, a no longer a complicated space, but a complex space, and therefore you need other methods. So you can't just like envision the world, you know, which is somewhere there in the future. Uh, how do we get there? Strategy, plan, execute. That doesn't work, right? Like that is that is. Um, <clears throat> Nowadays, you just got to find different ways of working and, and, and different practices that work in complexity and um, emergence. You know, it's still, to me at least, a hope, you know, that it actually works in terms of building a new we that we envision emerge to be um, with a global span. But, um, but so, yeah, it's, um, we can go in more detail about that, like, like some of the thinking that is there and the people behind it and um, what you find interesting. But uh, yeah, I should say Perspectiva was founded by, co-founded by, by Jonathan Rosen, um, you know, who, who heads it operationally. He's a former three-time British chess uh, grandmaster champion. So, mm. 
And Thomas Bjorkman is a, uh, yeah, mainly an entrepreneur who is um, active in uh, many change initiatives. So, um, um, and also, you know, one of the founders for Emerge. So, so these are the people. Um, yeah, maybe that's a good, good, good enough overview. We can go both ways, like to perspective or Emerge or yeah, 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 whatever you want to talk about. One of the <laughs> great things about um, Emergence. Uh, one of the characteristics of emergence for me, um, I'm appreciating maybe there's someone listening who still doesn't know what I'm talking about, um, is, is this phenomena of like, you're kind of searching for a thing and you don't know what it is. And then it just manifests in reality right at the right time. Yeah. Um, and, and Daniel Schmachtenberger called it like the closest thing to magic that's actually a scientific term. Yeah, it's um, it's probably associated with Logos in some way as well. But it's just huh. like, I mean, personally for me, I think it's it's very like awesome and pertinent. Um, and we're definitely going to have to sort of talk more about about the vision for it because I kind of, you know, it's, you know, talk about kind of roguish academics and so forth. Um, I think it's less about you know, sometimes we can stray into like, oh, we're rebels, you know, you know, like Eric Weinstein, I think gets a little carried away with, with being a rebel. Sure. Um, and it's less about like our identity is constituted of being rebels against something. And it's more just that there are constraints within the cultures of the broad um, civic, political and social institutions, which prevent certain kinds of um, thinkers, non-heterodox, non uh, non-orthodox uh, people. So, sure. you know, I very much was like, I came from a path of like respect for the institutions and a desire to develop, my, make myself into the kind of person that would um, fit them mm. to a degree. But I found that so sort of difficult ongoing um, and I had a real sort of passion for this line of inquiry. You know, I was researching about sort of Islam and jihadism and a whole complex relationship of things occurring there. Um, and, you know, it's for the most part, the people in the academy and the think tanks weren't really being afforded the intellectual room Mm. Um, and yeah. going outside of the known enough True. to do yeah. this kind of modeling. Um, and part of yeah. that is the, is the cultural, cultural constraints, let's say. For sure, for sure. Yeah, no, I can speak to that. I mean, because like at Perspectiva, we very much want to be an answer to that partly, or, or we are it, you know, because um, – <clears throat> all these siloed worlds, even in within academia, of course, often really don't talk to each other. Um, when, when we see that, uh, that the world runs smooth, um, smoothly, you know, that's a time for experts, you know, go deep and narrow on a very tiny piece of the, the chain of cause and effect. And, um, and there you can become a specialist, but zooming out, zooming out and try to see the holes that, that is relatively new in in some ways you know if you look at the advent of system science and uh, which is just a couple of decades really 
Um, <clears throat> so when it breaks down, and, and that relates to the complex space that we're now operating in, and sometimes liminal, it feels like, when you don't know, even know in what space you're operating in, um, make, make it very um, necessary that we become dot connectors, I think, you know, and that we're expert generalists and not just experts, because experts are good for when it's, like I said, run smooth. Um, and uh, Jonathan, <clears throat> like, explained this to me, and, and I think that is very true, and that's why, what Perspectiva is partly founded upon. Because, you know, the people there, there is um, some, some of them who are familiar in this space, uh, to your, to your um, listeners and viewers, <clears throat> like Bonita Roy or Zach Stein, they are publishing books um, and will be coming out at some point. Uh, there's Anthea Lawson, who is um, lesser known, but she's, she's an activist. Um, what else is there? There's Indra, Indra Atnan, who also publishes on Emerge, um, who's been rethinking politics, who does the, uh, the Alternative UK, you know, very, very interesting project. Like I encourage people to check that out. So it's these many, many worlds. And this goes for uh, many, many disciplines because, you know, all the questions that we hold, these big ones, you know, related to what we, you and I understand as the meta crisis, that meta also uh, implies that the questions and the answers like uh, are going to need collective intelligence and a lot of cognitive diversity. And um, so, yeah, that is what we, what we try to in some way encapsulate within Perspectiva and, and how we navigate and how we think you know, over longer term timeframes and um, <clears throat> yeah, the types of coherent but pluralistic approaches that we need, you know, and, and also in theories of change and um, the epistemic lineages that we find in the, um, in our space, you know, from, from systems builders to interbeing people who just want to hug and sit around the campfire and say, we need better relationships. And there's the rationalist community that says, oh, no, but better models, better ways, of, you know, um, less bias and, and um, making, being less wrong. Um, that's all important. Some developmentalists will, for example, say we need to just get to a higher level of consciousness and then magically our systems will change, you know, but others say, no, 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 we need to build institutions and fortify the networks, blah, blah, blah. Um, so you need all these, all these lenses on which to view the problems that we have um, with, you know, you've got to put, put each of them on. So you, you also need a metasystemic view of things and, um, and see um, which is, of course, appropriate in what situation, but, but also get people to talk, right? And, and here's, again, like this is the social aspect for Emerge and, and why we think it's important to bring in these worlds in some capacity or another is because, um, yeah, just, they need to talk to each other. And not just talk to each other, they need to do it at a certain level, right? A level of discourse that is actually, or sometimes called teal, without um, too much distortions from our shadows, our, our developmental uh, traumas, um, like the stuff that's being passed on through the generations, the intergenerational traumas that we have, you know, anything that distorts the field. So another part of Emerge is really explicitly working with this field and trying to clear that up through practices. You know, in, in Rebel Wisdom, we're big on shadow work, for example, developing sovereignty. And um, <clears throat> you can take a course for that with them. So 
those kinds of distortions don't don't happen too much and um and what you then want to do of course is like okay so that's great now you can be together um you know with your expertise and your particular lens and skills and personal history but what is what does it then enable right can you actually listen to the um to the future together through the clear field like to the what of what is emerging because yeah, so, so that is important. So it's the relationships and it is the what, what do you do with it? Like, and that brings you to the next thing. I mean, the insights that you can generate through these clear fields. Um, there's many methods that, that one can use, of course, to, to do that, like collective intelligence labs or, or theory U or just a few of these things that you can use, these technologies. Um, but then it's, it's also about action. So Emerge will also be about acting in the world, uh, exercising our power, you know, after also having come up with a new theory of power that we sometimes call exousians within Perspectiva. It's a Definitely term coined by... That. Sorry? Definitely want to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, power looks very differently, as Jonathan always points out. You know, it's not the same being a boss in this day and age. And, and again, in a complex space, it's not the same as it was. So... So we got to look at like what what, are the, what does it mean power you know it, it comes with so much baggage for people like especially in activist circles like oh what is what is your personal relationship to power and how do we exercise it what what is it what what is my own hatred around people in power or um, you know how do I suppress it etc. But I don't I don't want to get stuck on that it's just an example of what we want to work with. Um, yeah yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and, um, maybe there's a good time to pause here because I know I'm rambling on. Very excited about this stuff, see? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it is relevant because one of the qualities of this kind of meta approach is that, that what you draw out in the individual instantiation, you know, you're looking at social care or something, in some way kind of maps the way of going about it kind of stacks up to your meta-understanding of what's going on, stacks down to your personal relationship with the world as well. So, like, there was that author, uh, Minna Salami. Yeah. Right? Um, she's super interesting, just ordered her book. She wrote a number of articles for you guys. Great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. she's awesome. And um, what she has done is, like, seeded uh, an un a completely radically different understanding of power, drawing on um, sort of spirituality and relationship and understanding of nature and other things. And she seeded that within a culture of feminism, which is characterized largely by a different understanding of power. It's much more from, from the place of disempowerment and grasping for, for material power. Whereas this, this way of emerging power is much more like you're more kind of getting out of the way and allowing it to flow through you, whatever it is that you are sort of called um, to do. And then it almost becomes less, you know, it can be strident and it can have like a, a force to it, but it's not really forceful in the same way. Um, For sure. I'd love to sort of, unpack the liminality the quality of the liminality and yeah. also the the quality of the the meta crisis and how that sort of plays into this because i know jonathan wrote yeah 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I just want to, I just want to say, like a lot of what I share here, you know, is actually me. It's my understanding of his thinking and the way he relays it. You know, he's he's really the yeah, you know, the the brain behind this. And um, just want to acknowledge that, and also say that emerge. You know, everything I just shared, it's still quite at the beginning stages. You know, there's been a process of clarification that we've just kind of come to some finalization. So, so all of this is is, is the intent, but. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I would just want to say. So, um, <clears throat> and um, yeah, about power, where did you want to start with that? I, I feel to do that, we need to kind of slow down a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right? let's take a breath. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. It's, um, Because I don't think you can talk from that place if, um, or you can't talk about it if you don't talk from that place, right? It's uh, what you just already started doing, this tiny somatic inquiry to get a sense for like, oh yeah, it's more receptive. I think I saw your body move, right, with your hands. Um, so, so yeah, I think, I think you, we're sensing that these things are also embodied intelligences, right? Words have, have power. Words have this influence there. Um, it's not just throwing it out there as a new concept. It's, it's um, yeah, having the sensitivity to, to tune. And, and that's what, also why the word, the word exusions is also just so beautiful in itself, right? It's like, it's a whole lot better than power, power. <laughs> Like pow, pow, pow. <laughs> anyway. They're all the super yeah. villains of every franchise. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, just, just take the word and let it like hit you power right now. Like it, it's just so different. You know, I see you look up at this moment. No, it's different. Like, and then if you go to exusions, I mean, it's like I'm getting a massage. <laughs> if I say it. <laughs> but no i don't want to i don't want to ridicule it too much but but you know it, i think this is important what we're tapping into right i feel myself drop more into the belly when i speak of that term and and as we're doing a little bit of um yeah like uh i don't know what is this jacob what are we doing is this oh well, it's um as you say power yeah there is a certain um enticement in the word and there's also sure. there's a sort of a grasping energy as well yeah like both yeah and you want to <clears throat> do you want me to speak to that or or you want to finish well so i want to speak to exuberance in yeah. relationship to that because it's yeah. Yeah, I can much more sort of it's got a feminine kind of air to yeah. it the nature yeah. of the um, yeah. exuberance it's more expressive yeah um, and it's also got that sort of um, you know the end of the word sort of tapers off right you know, it's like yeah. 
Yeah. Like, where is that? Um, it's a sensuous word. Yeah, it's even erotic. Yeah. I, I can, you know, let me just see if I can like phrase this, like uh, word, give words to this really well. When coming from the place of like the inquiry around power, um, you know, there's mainly two things when we grow up as, as kids that are from the outside that we experience is coming from the outside. And one is love and the other is power, you know, and love very crudely in the form of milk and just touch and whatnot. And you're so dependent, right? So we become very attuned to seek it on the outside, right? Before we find it in ourselves. But, and it pulls us out of ourselves. And, and when I sense power, you know, pe- that, that's the second one. As children, very young, we don't have any power, you know. People pick us up all the time as babies. You can't move your limbs even. You're just shooting all over the place. Uh, you shit yourself for years. You know, other people have to clean you up. Yeah. I mean, you don't have the power to do that. You can't just wipe your own ass when you're like six months old, right? So, so and it goes on for a while. So power comes from the outside. So these two things. And it makes us seeking. It's a very active thing. And let's just maybe keep it short here. But um, <clears throat> yeah, so you come seekers for these things, but but it's very much active. And when we were just getting into, you know, the somatic literacy of, um, the somatic you know, literacy of exuations, when you said like, yeah, it's receptive, it's, it's still powerful. You know, that's another thing our minds can't combine, you know, power is pushing like will and hard and coercive and dark and over you. It's out to get you, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we're defended against it. And, um, and when we seek it, we think that that's it. And then we can't see that it also can go hand in hand, you know, with, with love, for example. You can be both powerful and loving. And for a long time, we don't, we're not able to, to experience both, you know, or be, be innocent and vulnerable. And at the same time, be incredibly strong, right? Like, that is, that is something we don't, well, it takes, takes a long time to get it. At least for me, it took a long time to get it. But... Um, so, and then coming back to exuations, that really feels, um, you know, there's this receptivity. Like when I say it, I, it brings me more into alignment, into the vertical. It brings me into my genitals even, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's being there more down there, you know, that supports your dignity, right? me at least if if i'm in my vertical if i feel aligned and coherent then then i'm in my dignity from that place i can also be receptive if i bring that in if the heart's aligned and um but power my man i i just want to you know here i start seeking you know when it goes to my eyes become predatorial view like it's this outside programming that we were you know trained to look out for and see it and our nervous systems are trained and um but the great thing about it is of course it can be it can be remedied we can deconstruct the ego structures that we build around either not having power thinking that we need power uh, all the defenses around it that, that can be worked through and um <clears throat> yeah now i'm now i'm going going there i don't know if you want to go there like what it what it's actually in practice um or 
what, what, why I think it's so important to, to, to think about this and, and find ways to work with the notion of power in practice, to really have a community of practitioners, you know, where this is an explicit thing. And, but then looking at it through our own um, conditioning. And of course, there's a lot of talk about power and they have it, you know, in, in the, um, in the social justice world and, and a fringe, you know, minority um, who weaponize this language and try to thwart the understanding of what it is. And, but in doing so, like using their understanding of what it is in a, in a very nefarious way is to cause like true polarization, of course. So, so here again, I think that's, that's why coming, coming back to Anthea Lawson's work on the entangled activist, it's so important that we do that work, right? Anger and, and see, you know, in the spiritual school that I, that, I, um, that I train in, which when I'm a student in, we see anger as um, distorted strength. It's a distorted form of essential strength. And power is, also has an essential element. The distorted element of power is hatred and it's frozen. It's the frozen power. And once you work through the structure, you actually wind up in a place where it's peace and power, essential power. And it looks very, very different. You know, it's, it's, it's a non-coercive type power. It's, um, it's, it's embodied, it's internalized. It's, um, it's calm, especially the peace part. You know, I think in particular, this is why Islam struggles so much with hatred, you know, while saying that they are the religion of peace, you know, and the frustrating loop that through centuries of colonization, of inner strife and war and fragmentation and, um, you know, why, why this is such a potent combination in Islam, like on the one hand, the religion of peace and on the other hand, the blind spots around the trouble that it causes in the world. But, um, but anyway, I don't want to go there. I, I've, <clears throat> yeah. Time will, the time will come. So, to, yeah, to sure. When I do go there, it's going to be a 20 hour long discussion, <laughs> but uh, yeah, sure. A, a very key sort of imagine but, yeah. understanding that I got from my inquiry into that and my thesis on it was the relationship to power and how right. it is. And so what you're saying, like it's taking some real skillfulness to hold the amount of sort of branches that are coming off of it for me, because Sorry, it's yeah. the middle of the, this is like a key thrust of the logos of what I'm drawn to inquire into right now. Um, right. Well, yeah, I mean, we can go on that road, you know, of course, uh, sure. And, and here again, I want to make it very personal. You know, when I got, when I got drawn, in, drawn into my inquiry into Islam, you know, which was, which was quite, um, quite through a push, you know, I was a student of journalism and, um, and I was living in Amsterdam at the time, you know, um, and on one morning in a November morning on, uh, forget the exact year, 2001, 2002, I think, you know, I was just, on, on the way to work, it's like police cars speeding past me. And uh, it's like, whoa, this is big. What is this? What's going on? And I come come to work and it, um, 
it turns out that Theo van Gogh had been murdered just like a kilometer away from where I was just cycling, you know, who's murdered by an Islamic um, jihadi youth. And, um, <clears throat> and I had tried to interview Theo van Gogh, like, um, you know, I was in contact with him sometimes because I wanted to interview him. And one time I had him on the phone and he told me, okay, interview me now. I didn't have my questions ready. And it's like, that's because you're fucking stupid. So that, that was kind of the guy he was, right? But he was just like very talented filmmaker and... Um, so he got murdered and then I was like, okay, so what is going on here? And then I went to my own inquiry um, on it and seeing what it actually is. And yeah, I became quite um, taken by that, you know? And I think again, if you look at the power question and where I was at in my own power, I really developed a very um, negative opinion of the religion of Islam. Um, you know, seeing all the trouble, it, uh, it really rocked me the wrong way. Also, you know, there's plenty of critics, of course, reading Sam Harris and looking at all these, um, <clears throat> reading all these things. And it's quite a, quite a broad inquiry, I would say, you know, but, but mostly on the problematized side of things. Um, um, so, yeah, it was personal to some extent, um, really, because it was so close. Um, Mm. But coming back to the power question, I think that was interesting because the emotional charge that I felt always towards Islam and jihadism and the terrorism, you know, and all the, all the um, negativity that is associated with it, you know, or, or ascribed to it. And um, yeah, I was, was emotionally charged. So I definitely had some sort of object relation with it, like or a piece of shadow around it. And, and I've noticed more, I kind of have looked at, power and and found my own peace and um done the work on the heart that obsession with it completely dropped away you know it's it's really just an interesting journey that it's and you know and i wanted to write about it i wanted to publish on it and i never did because i always felt like hmm it's it's i, I can't write this from like a objective place you know a place of truth where I just saw Islam for a long time, like, oh, it's just an evil. It just has to kind of like be thrown on the scrap heap, uh, you know, the body of thought I want to point out here because it's all this causing all this division, et cetera. But the, the subject no longer holds me. It's, it's for me um, almost a, a done thing. I've kind of, again, maybe this was also a relationship where I had to learn something and went through it. And um, yeah, I've come out the other end of it somehow. But sorry, I see you want to say something. And, um, <laughs> it's so um, go um <clears throat> really striking to me that you knew him uh you'd spoken with him before and i read the details of that case for my um uh -huh. studies and you know he was murdered in broad daylight riding his bicycle to work right yeah. with a note uh, impaled into his chest, right? Which promised to go after Ayan Hirsi Ali, the the exactly, radical yeah. um, feminist critic of Islam, who uh, famously like a kind of Dutch national figure. Um, yep. And you kind of bringing that to bear in the way that you did is very important, and it's 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 what it's bringing out for me is the way in which a lot of the understandings I came to in doing this evolving inquiry about Islam and about the West relationship to it and how we talk mm -hmm. about it um, 
it brings out a lot of those important elements of playing at the level required to to come into relationship with emergence and so forth like For shadow sure, material yeah. is absolutely important um and i've met a lot of people who you know they know there's something there that needs to be inquired into but they've had friends who have been killed in no acting they're very open about the fact that that is that is a kind of wound which improperly worked through is an obstacle to a sort of open understanding of what's what's there um right and the one of what I'll try and tie it together in a way where we don't go completely off on it. But, you know, one of the, yeah. the understanding that I came to in a sense, sort of like I brought in a lot of sort of memetics and sort of biological stuff from Brett Weinstein and, and so forth. Um, so I understood it as a kind of memetic complex, like a, like a memetic complex of the ancient world, let's say. Um, and, uh, and the qualities of it are that it is so sort of integral and holistic and, mm. and addressing every aspect of life. And also the nature of the language is such that it intentionally is, 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 is in such a way that it's very difficult to talk about the ideas without talking about the people. And, and so mm -hmm. in order sure, yeah. to maintain your humanity, and your human relationship and care towards all of these people of so many different like backgrounds that fall under the banner. Sure, um, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I would say it's an intentional defensive mechanism of that mimetic complex that makes it so difficult to um, talk about. And there's a lot of other sort of, sort of, adaptive characteristics, let's say, that we can observe, especially in the Western context, where, you know, we have these sort of rich apparatus of kind of media actors, self-appointed intellectuals, MR, sure, yeah. um, organizations, all of which function as a kind of frontier boundary around the Muslim community's information mm -hmm. ecology. Mm -hmm. So if I, um, as an outsider who's not Muslim, say anything critical publicly, what they do is they then sort of tag like white blood cells onto me and my name, defame me, say this person is a da da da, and they do a very sort of coordinated campaign. Oh, sure, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, this, yeah the, the strength of this mimetic ecosystem is far superior and more sophisticated than like the more intolerant parts of like woke social justice now this is like on different order of um development yeah <clears throat> yeah there, there are more, there's more structures there i think you know there's more um there's more connections in that network in some ways you know so it's a bit more resilient already i think um, it's this this, uh, it's, well, it's this, this woke woke stuff you know it's it's Sorry. not just it's a perfect sort of model for us to come into an understanding of our own shortcomings in the west let's say like it's a, it's islam holds up a mirror to us and it says we have community we have robust community there's a relationship between the youth and the elders which is very um present and real we have 
an absolutely clear uh, metaphysics and understanding of the nature of the universe. Um, we know what the will of God is, and we know all of the answers to all of the unknowns because it's merely a matter of interpretation. Humans uh, are suckers for certainty. I mean, like, it doesn't matter who you are, right? <clears throat> if it's one thing we, we suck at, then it's like hanging out and not knowing. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess what I'd stress is it's as much um, I'm coming to understand, like, from a sort of developmental, you know, when we, when we conceive of power, it's not just like a relationship to institutions. It's our relationship to family, let's say. So I think there's, you know, if we did the research, what we would find is that there is a kind of emotional uh, quality to the understanding of authority. You know, mm. my relationship to my father in this cultural context and my relationship to the parental authority stacks up then to my relationship to the local imam. And then my relationship to the imam stacks up to my relationship to the text and my relationship mm. to God. So it's, you know, that matter sure, yeah. goes all the way up and down the stack. Um, mm. Because we're such a sort of disembodied uh, and so personal, we have all this like shadow of alienation from our own religious origins that, that most people in the media uh, academic institutional framework they can't re they can't really comprehend it and so we get into this total situation of confusion because they can't even entertain religion meaningfully um, and they don't have that embodied um, intuition when they're coming into relationship with people with a very different um, orientation right now now yeah true yeah, <clears throat> for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what else to say to that. Um, you know, there's many, many ways we can go from here, of course. Um, well, what feels... Um, is this something which feels so salient to you? Something that you sort of been... Like yeah, that's like the your whole... kind of objects of, of attention or contemplation. Right. Uh, well, many things right now. Um, I don't know which one stands out at this moment. We can just like sit and see what comes up, right? Well, you're bringing out listening to me, isn't it? Yeah, right. <clears throat> that's always good. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't, I mean, of course, there's always like the podcast, like frame in which we do and it's being recorded, etc. But uh, I, I just wish we would be much more like, okay, with a little bit of silence and not knowing what I just said, you know, I mean, not just um, as a collective, but as, as individuals. Um, I think this is actually what I sit with. It's, um, you know, trying to work on birthing a movement or an organization that like has emergence at its heart and and for that you got to be comfortable with not knowing and um and it's it's just such a you know talk about what what you internalize you know the paradigm of, of how to do things on doing it's like says yeah yeah plan control do this 
It's so ingrained. Like immediately you, you find a way to go and jump to action instead of just hanging out like in like, oh. um, I don't know, you know, the capacity to hold the question. Um, I, that's, that's a skill that I think is often underemphasized, right? It's even before what, what Einstein says, like if I have to solve a problem, I'm going to spend 95% time framing it or formulating it. And then 5% of the time, I'm just going to work on solving it. And, and I think it's probably what Einstein meant, right? Like, but, um, but even before the framing, there's that space of just kind of listening to the future. And, and that, this is what we have to learn to do. I feel collectively more and more and more because you know, when we, we don't know what to do, the worst thing, well, not always, but like, uh, is, is, is just jumping into action. And again, here, connecting it back to emerge is, this is great, uh, bio. <clears throat> I'm going to butcher his name. Um, I think his name is, <clears throat> forgive me bio. If you ever watch this, watch this, but, um, he says like, uh, my ancestors tell me we're in, a, in an emergency. We must slow down. And um, no, that <laughs> is true. Because um, the action bias is just so ingrained. Um, everybody wants to do something, be valuable. Um, but, but really sitting and taking stock of what's going on, that's... Um, it's a bit more rare. People are learning, you know, I see it definitely in, in some spaces, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, how do you know, right? How do you know? How, how do you know that that is what you should be doing? And how do we know that what should happen? I mean, sure. Again, if you're an expert, but then you think, and, but then you're also being paid to do that. But I don't know. <clears throat> You know what I'm trying to say here exactly. Um, I just have this. I, I think I'm developing more of a, yeah, more, uh, yeah, better relationship to just not knowing. Actually, I learned a lot from from Jonathan Jonathan Rousen, you know, who's uh, again. I that comes with being a grandmaster. You just hanging out in the space in the possibility space a lot. I think, and not not um not every road of action is is like okay it's just one of many and um <clears throat> you learn you learn to wait i think you learn to be patient now i'm really getting a sense of the sort of subtlety of what it is that you're doing and uh, embodying in the course of the conversation. There's kind of something going on at a um, energetic level of slowing down. Um, mm. It's like a deepening into unknown um, and a permissioning and a sort of invitation to, to go even further into the not knowing um, mm. and the slowing down and 
it feels physiologically better. You know, I've recently started getting a coffee before I, you know, as part of my pre-podcast stack. And so the caffeine going through my system is uh, an accelerant in some way as well. But this, this, um, this quality of slowing down, stepping back, like how much, well, certainly most people are not afforded the opportunity to do that. It's really something that you have to step into uh, if you wanna, if you wanna have that deeper relationship to the unknown and not knowing in the current moment. You know, even if you, even if you, ha you know, even if you're fairly loose with your future plans, you know, you're not a super control freak. You don't have like your two and five and 10 year timeline. Maybe you don't even know what you're doing next year. You're just going along with the thing, but there can be very subtle layers of it in the way that people ask you, like, what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah. Somebody calls me up and they're like, what are you doing uh, in your life? And yeah. uh, it's not even just the question itself. It's the space that is afforded by the way of the asking of the question. Um, yeah, exactly. And so to where I'm at right now, sometimes um, people ask the question and the question has already become a constraint on the, of course, on the breadth of the, of the living and not knowing. Um, yeah. Well, that's, that's the question part. And then there's also like uh, the, the, the self image part or the part of you that responds to or reacts to it, you know? So, so yeah, that's, that's the, the dialectic, uh, the limiting is in the dialectic, but it's absolutely also in the, uh, yeah, the afford the space that a question affords, right? What are you doing? But, I'm wondering if then, is there then also the assumption or do you feel pressure, for example, it's like, is there a physiological response to you when you hear the question? Like, oh, I should be doing this, for example. Often, this is, of course, where our inner critics come in instantly. Oh, I should be doing something else. But what I'm really doing is this, you know. <laughs> it depends on how the, the energy of the person shows up. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I can quite deftly subvert the, the boundaries of the proposition. Right. Um, other times the, the shape of the question is itself a shock sort of boxing in and then you're suddenly feeling like, Oh, I'm in the box and now I have to like <laughs> around like this in order to just kind of keep the conversation congenial. Um, because you're both navigating it, navigating the tightly constrained game that they've created and right. being aware of that as well. Right. Now you're thinking like, what is going on emotionally for them? That yeah. Is creating the conditions of this. Um, how, how would you, how would you feel if I um, said, I don't give a damn about what you do? <laughs> how would it, how, yeah, that's the opposite, right? Like you complete freedom. I don't give a fuck about what you do, Jacob. <laughs> how does that make you feel? <laughs> that loosened things up actually. Yeah. Cool. I, yeah. I, well, actually, I'm a big believer that swearing is associated with greater honesty for some mm -hmm. reason. Um, if we can comport ourselves 
authentically and meaningfully and articulately and still not give a fuck. And, um, well, we give a fuck about what's meaningful, but we don't give yeah, a fuck yeah, yeah. about the, the way of comporting ourselves and the constraints and the expectations related to sure. that. And this of course, when I say I don't give a fuck, I, I, there's more subtlety than that as well, right? I mean, I can really not give a shit because I'm a dis- disinterested cunt, you know? Or I'm really like, uh, you know, like uh, I grant you all the freedom that you want to... Um, <laughs> yeah, this you know, is more like a sort of To self-actualize. Uh, this is the Zen not giving a fuck. Um, <clears throat> and that is just to sort of whip out a piece from earlier on that I was holding of like, when I was talking about the cultural constraints of the think tanks, you know, if you want to go and research what I wanted to research, you have to go to think tanks and you have to go to probably neoconservative leaning think tanks Uh, and you wear a suit and you work in an office around Westminster and so forth. the congruence between the culture of the context in which I was able to do what I wanted to do and the culture of my way of being and my way of relating to my friends and the way that I decorate my room. Um, You know, the notion that some profound, like sort of transcending understanding of this complex question that I've been holding for years has occurred for me, you know, in the context of having smoked a joint and gone to a yoga class and then had it just like sort of emerge in that flow. This is not, this is not the kind of thing that can be meaningfully. Am I going to talk about how I actually live my life amongst these people? Because it's going to trigger the, the anxieties that come from, from encountering someone who's outside of the control, hmm. the controlled frame on that. Um, and so you, for me, like in order to be in truth in those contexts, it's required uh, to develop a kind of skillfulness, you know, because you have to kind of be able to like sort of skillfully bring in like, Oh, this is actually what I'm about. This is like the way of, thinking and these are the kinds of experiences and contexts that have allowed me to reach this point Mm -hmm. yeah and to you know it's kind of like i would like to hear hear if you have anything to say on that first but Mm, yeah i'm just wondering like what you like is there is it really authenticity the word that like we're not using I mean, we often substitute from my truth, right? Um, oh, I don't know. That's like another word for me that's currently up for grabs, like like authenticity and <clears throat> this relationship keeps changing. Um, I won't say I'm quite there yet myself, you know. I mean, I still want to look good depending on the context sure yeah um (laughs) for sure you know 
But what you said about the, yeah, kind of like the swearing. Um, it's, it's really interesting. Like a lot of people that have done soul work or, or imaginal work and they get to speak, they swear like a lot more. And I think it was just also like speaking from that place just, just now. Um, so which I was in a way a bit surprised by. And, and then, <clears throat> so yeah, it's an interesting notion, you know, I get, I, I get, lately I get myself, I get quite tired of, you know, authentic performativity. <laughs> it's like, a, yeah, performative authenticity, I should call it where everybody sits in a circle and shares their feelings and, um, you know, and, oh yeah, this is my truth. And, and there I've said it kind of thing, you know, and it's like, yeah, the courage. Oh yeah. God, courage. So courageous. <clears throat> and also here I get a, I get to display, you know, how much insight I have into myself or how, how articulate I can voice things. I don't know. Mm, you, you see quite a bit of that and um <clears throat> and i think i'm just impatient maybe i'm not being generous enough here too but um i don't know i just get, get so bored what do you feel feel like you <clears throat> get into these places um but yeah, I think it's, it's basically the state where I'm in, whether that I'm in, you know, I, I just, uh, I get bored and sometimes I just want to vomit, like, even though it's authentic, but yeah, this, this, I don't know, performative authenticity. Um, don't know, is that worth anything? <laughs> yes, it's actually very, <laughs> it's, it's held very lightly, but it's actually very congruent with the flow of things thus far um mm. especially the way that you're kind of you're sort of drawing more and more awareness to the constraints and the the medium and the context the sort of invisible context that are shaping the possibility of the discussion that occurs mm. <clears throat> in a sense, like the reason I'm here is because I couldn't be myself anywhere else. And so I had to make my own thing. And right. the whole process of developing the capacity and confidence of being like, yeah, I'm actually ready to do it now. Hmm. And you kind of saw me at some like inflectional stage upon that process. Hmm. And this notion of authenticity is super congruent with the understanding of power. Um, yeah. I feel and, like I've, true I mean, uh, power is coming from, oh, fuck's sake, like I can't even say it without it being, because our true power is coming from our authenticity, you know, in the sense of like, but what is that, right? What is this yeah, authenticity? What is, what is authenticity when we're plumbing it down? What, what, when we're getting away from the word authenticity and getting into the being um, right. and the way of 
uh, relating to be right. and exp and know yeah. intending to. Um, yeah. Yeah, because you know, I mean, as we know, the the the, the if you, you let's let's just agree. I think we can agree that there's not such a thing as an authentic ego. But I mean, since it's um, <clears throat> never fully, I mean, since it's like a, the product of our past, it's historical conditioning, you know, in, internalized experiences and, and suppressions, etc. So it's, it's kind of like always coming from history. And therefore, in the moment, you know, if you're identified with it, you, you can't be authentic. So at least not the type of authenticity, I think, that we are getting at here trying to get it here and um, <clears throat> yeah and I think therefore like it, it, it's it's what you talked about like it's it's about the connection to source right that you then have and um, and make space for and can like what we're doing like through the dialogue enter in that space yeah that's possible, but you know the performative kind that you so often that I feel I see. You know, um, it's very hard to get past it. You know, I mean, I can't say I'm free of it, like even that. Especially when, as you also pointed out with the question, you know, a question is a space. There's like a, a possible possibility space that it gets opened up. But it's the same thing if you go to like a circling retreat or a circling event. But like, oh, yeah, now the question is, you know, again, bigger. It's like it's like the container of it with a possibility space in which you're supposed to be authentic or, or speak your truth. You know, that just brings on for many people like a whole new layer of, um, oh, now I must speak my truth, right? Must speak my truth. And um, <laughs> how am I going to do that? I'm one of these people like, oh, my God, I'm terrified, terrified of public speaking, you know, when it's my turn and goes around the group you know and then comes near it and i'm like i've i've already mulled over the story that i'm going to tell like 10 times over just to look good or sound authentic really <laughs> <laughs> getting up the matter abstractions yeah oh <laughs> uh, yeah yeah no so it's it's funny like how it always it comes into being and i think i think what i'm what, what came or why this comes up now is contrasting it with more like this this, this hard speak and like yeah this this soulful place that i think we must all tap into and i think this is you know so important also for well many 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 things but um for the way we think about ourselves and that's why i kind of asked you the question who's the one that, that hears the question that limits the space because it's not just the question that limits the space the possibility space for you right it's also you as the you know hearer of that question and 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 the way you choose to engage with the question and as you said the energetic communication through which the question comes and um <clears throat> And all these different kinds of not giving a fuck, having, uh, you know, having a different kind of, yeah, also a different kind of um, affordance space or affordance charge with it. Like, so maybe it's getting too heady. This is really, no, it's super, what it is, oh. is it's illuminating um, all of the sort of hidden aspects of what it is, what the fuck it is that's going on 
um, here as, as this thing that I've called sense space, which is, exists, my ambition is for it to exist as in close relationship with my own developmental inquiry as possible and to really afford it. Um, and so I'm bringing to bear all of those intuitive capacities when it comes, I'm like being very careful about who it is that I choose to speak with. Um, because you know, there's people like, you know, oh, there's a kind of established network of people you go talk to or, Sure. Um, yeah. Or there's like, oh, this person has 50k Twitter followers. I should definitely talk to them, um, kind of thing. But then there's the sense of like, who is going to afford the possibility, um, the mutually afforded possibility, and the project of. Well, let's not say project because that's a constraining, that's a kind of thrown, you know, that's, I'm already thrown into the thing and I'm not sort of right. <clears throat> the space for it. There you uh, go. These words again. Yeah. It's like, uh, that's exactly what project also means, right? To throw forward. To throw, you know, throwing a spear um, from a primal root. Um, it's like the, the, the depth of the quality of the possibility of space afforded by me uh, is absolutely contiguous and concerned with everything that I do and the way that I do it and the way that I attend to the experiences that I have outside of this um, conversation. Mm -hmm. How closely am I attending to um, my environment and how, to what extent am I sort of plumbing the depths of what's going on for me increasingly, sort of, you know, all the way up and all the way down, um, concurrent to that. And that's, um, that's sort of the, the, The okay. Well, I'm going to throw a couple of things together and keep in mind that this is a playful. This is done as serious. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yes. Out of the track that I've moved on to from the Islam inquiry as an inquiry into the piece about Christianity and the Jesus inheritance, and this is what I was talking with John Badeki about yesterday. That's super present for me. Um, mm. And I've been a sort of student of Guy Sangstock as a kind of sage of, of, of depth of possibility of listening mm, yeah. and in relation to the world. So what I'm asking playfully is what is the quality of listening that, that Jesus as a sage or character affords to the people that he's encountering? Um, and so this is very much you know, right when you started talking about power, there was a sense of this, you know, mm. it was always coming from this place of separation. 
and the this these the trajectory of the spiritual path is the diminishment of separation between I and and sure, the yeah. concurrent <clears throat> diminishment, the ne- necessary expanded notion of 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 who am I or you know Christ I think Old Testament as well there's this idea of like I am you know he who is called I am mm-hmm. and we could take it literally Sorry. or we could say what what is what is I am like how far down does I am go <laughs> and I think the contention of the mystical and spiritual paths is it goes all the way down to I am cosmic you know i am that which cannot be cannot be put into words um so 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 that's sort of you know we could even playfully say that game jesus is like game b right and (laughs) the context and the mindset i don't know Apostles and of the lineage of the church and the entire development and Islam as well, obviously, yeah. is a game any. And principally, the, the rivalrous dynamic systems um, and that, that, that notion of power that we're talking about has continually crept back in. And it's very much been power is located in, in the institution, it's behind the curtain, right. Um, right. it's behind the priest, and it's through somebody else and it's not through yourself. And so the yeah. real thrust of what I really like about people like Zach Stein and Jordan and Guy and right. the notion of exuberance is go down into yourself, keep going down, and then make that your orientation. And then if you continue to do that, you will continue to change. Um, mm. And there's this dialectic of challenge. You know, uh, the, the layers of, I think the layers of trauma can be incredibly subtle. Right. There's the big ones, you know, like da da da. my father was like, didn't do this or did this and so right, forth. Right, right. Um, yeah. And there's getting that out of the way. But then there's like this kind of subtleties of, of dualism and relationship to nature, relationship to world, relationship mm. to cosmos. Mm. Uh, relationship to temporality sure yeah yeah yeah, big one which make up history not in the sense of just history but like the way terence mckenna used to say it like history you know like culture (laughs) like that sort of expanded um yeah deeply embedded inheritance which which is the ultimate constraint on our potential right yeah i think the irish say the thing about the past it's not the past, right? <clears throat> I heard I heard David White uh, say that in some podcast. I think that was, uh, and it's true. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, I mean, so many ways to go with this one, like especially the past. Um, you know, this intergenerational transmission, both for good and sometimes bad. You know, when you speak of the traumas, yeah, it's like a a huge um, a huge one, and. Um, and that is, yeah, I don't know. Where, where do you want to go um, with this? I plant one more seed quickly. Huh? Um, 
Oh yeah, I just did, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One no, more go thread to this, which, you know, it's already pretty expanded, but it's gonna be just slightly more. Um, the, there's a beautiful um, work of art I saw on Instagram. Um, and it's like a picture of sort of a Christ, like an exalted Christ with angels and so forth around. But then his entire gown sort of body, like his whole thing is like this very like raw, like naked kind of like mm. raw flesh, like eye looking out. And then the quote attached is sort of Carl Jung, like um, something about like enlightenment is the the increasing shining of light out of darkness or something. Um, mm -hmm. But it's kind of tying this notion of trauma in with Christ consciousness, like right, right, right. The quality in the space that's afforded by the listening is directly tied to the the um, the depth of the opening of the sort of the root structures of self which are mm. to varying mm. degrees blocked by major and minor traumas. And so sure, yeah, 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 yeah. each kind of, you know, I kind of conceive of the self like mycelial, um, like mm. a root structure. And these root structures we carry around with us. Mm. The bodies, our bodies are visibly present, but they're actually sort of temporarily. Yeah, distributed. Um, the past moves through us and most people, you know, sort of um, Bobby and Ken, you know, they encounter one another and they get on well and they're kind of experiencing this top band, you know, this is how the degree to which they know themselves and one another. Right, right. And that is happy and they're in love and so forth. But then there's like all of this sort of like, you know, the roots of themselves are going down and out into their parents and grandparents. Right. Um, and those things are in relationship with one another as well. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of the invisible um, process by which, by which amazingly, uh, people always tend to find themselves in love with and attracted to people who have corresponding um, needs that were not met, traumas. Um, For sure, yeah. And you know, there's a lot of other ways of sort of fleshing it out. I don't think it's kind of, this gets into kind of political correct territory, but there's, you know, I've known people who had uh, traumas and there's a quality where, where people who've experienced some sort of victimization um, mm -hmm. will attract that in the world, you know? Like someone who is has this sense of threat from something that's happened in their past, right? It's present, and then what you have in the world are there's sort of two ways of getting in touch with the intuitive, right? There's like the very open, um, grounded way, and then there's like the predatory narcissist, and the predatory <laughs> narcissist also is in touch with that, and he or she can detect um you know this person is like you know it's it's not fully well articulated yet and it's something that has to be spoken about carefully but these are kind of hidden um dynamic structures which are probably 
lay it in with the mm -hmm. understanding of power that we've been talking about and existence. For sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, um, I mean, if, if you just, <clears throat> if you, even if you just bring it down and don't even make it that abstract, like, like the power structures, like the in-betweenness of power, but just the, the embodiment of it, right? that we uh, have to address and, and how, you know, and this is something that most people talk about ego they also forget, like it's, it's a, it's a body ego too. So just the mere fact of our physicality makes this so much more um, a prescient topic um, that, is, that constantly has to be negotiated. It seems in the in-betweenness. Um, but yeah, through this, heavy layer of conditioning that we're accustomed to having to navigate it and um you know and as we rightly do in challenge are the are the um the power structures that we have enacted that we call um <clears throat> a big part of society so and and in relationship of course yeah I mean, the lens itself can be all-encompassing, and um, and it's a difficult one because you know if it, as you said, points to like, oh, my dad did this and my mom did such, you know, like it's easy to shift into blame because because this yeah, this externalizing force that that I described earlier in the podcast, you know, the seeking of it, um, the like, no one speaks about power just as one word, right? Like as as an essential aspect of the nature of reality as it is but it's always power over power to something so it's all always um yeah referential to something else of course um not to get into the language game too much but that's just kind of saying how our minds of course are taught to handle a concept like this but um um yeah don't know where i'm going with this but i i just feel yeah really the need to um <clears throat> or or i feel the urgency to yeah i guess it's funny to come back to this again like to to transmute this this whole notion and and you can't do it alone you can't do it alone conceptually right you can't do it alone in the on the, on the level of just uh, bringing in something like exhaustion which is like a really good way to 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 come at it to forge openings but you also simultaneously have to have to change the imagination around it like our personal imagination uh, the understanding of power in our own souls and then it goes even further you know i think zach, zach stein also to, speaks to this the need for this when i just say it's an essential aspect of the true nature of reality power then <clears throat> we have to come to grips with its ontological basis and, and develop a relationship to that, you know, where we also can see it as just as love, as, um, as something that is completely real, you know, real in our minds that is just um, <clears throat> as a non-material substance even, you know, that is, that is precious now as just a scarce resource. Um, like purely seen as a scarce resource, you know, and someone owns it. But that's what I mean. You, you got to simultaneously work on the owner of it, you know, and see that it's <laughs> that it's the power that you are it that you 
you know, embody it. But um, this hall of mirrors through our ego selves that we've built up that are in communication with each other, you know, it's one ego communicating to another ego, one mental structure communicating with another mental structure um, held by ideas and societal structures in which it is some sort of currency that flows and the, the result is a collective trance, um, you know, and, and, and structures within that collective trance <laughs> that we call consensus reality and, and how we think we have to navigate it all. So I don't know what that was, but... <clears throat> We're getting very psychedelic. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also provoking some very interesting wow. genesis of, uh, of, of, of joining together of pieces uh, for me. Uh, yeah, okay, well, yeah. We're geeking out here. I, I feel like we're geeking out, but it's but it's cool, you know. I like it. So, I mean, it's it's. Uh, I mean, um, I've been told both of. I, yeah, I've been told by. I have, <laughs> go, on, go first. Go on. Oh, okay. I'm gonna go. Yeah. No, I, I was just gonna say we're both pretty good at. Um, I think we're in some sort of feedback loop in in terms of zooming out. <clears throat> You know, yeah, our entanglement in the space. I, I feel it. I feel my, feel my, my head centered kind of. <laughs> it's good. It's, well, it's fun. A lot of it is. I think it's very good that we were able to meet in a context that wasn't about the exploration of this material. You know, it was a, a super embodied, like you know, just kind of meeting as people in bodies and like, you know, developing yeah, yeah. a relationship on that kind of um, basis. Right. Which is, you know, potentially so often missing um, mm. and takes work to transmit and generate in the context of this technology, which is part of, part of the work for me as well is like how to, it's, you almost have to you have to be better at it, you know? You have to be Oh, you should just forget about the other person. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, better at it now. I know what you mean. Of course, you know, we're obsessed with method, you know, uh, as a culture actually, but uh, I think also in our space, the space that we hang out, you know, how, how to do this, how to do that, but 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 yeah. It's um I don't know. It it make it, it makes a big difference like who you speak to, right? So I really feel, also, yeah. Wow. I feel very afforded by you to just bring out my most edge of the frontier um notions and that's super helpful because mm. you know, my mother is telling me like, you know, if you make it more than an hour long that's going to limit, you know, a lot of people don't have the attention and stuff. Um, and I say yes, but I'm not going to be, I'm not going to make that my constraint for this, you know? No. Yeah. 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 Um, and I do want to, I do want to throw out this piece to you because it's, it's right. Um, and quite shocking to me, but so, 
the Genesis story of <laughs> the Genesis story of Adam and Eve, um, mm. the development of consciousness in human life, separate from nature, um, separate and within. Um, this is almost the starting point of the the going out um, of man. Um, the outgoing of man, um, a meta outgoing of man, which is occurring sort of, you know, at the, at the real level of like we're wanderers, you know, we're pushing for the new frontier, we're going east and west and crossing the seas and mm. conquering the forests and the natives and so forth and so forth. Um, and it's there's something about the quality of the power um there's like the the way in which man has become separate from separate and within nature affords a greater complexity and a greater kind of dialectic creative polarity and the and the course of history um up to this point is in some ways a working out of that dynamic um, and then we take the Christhood piece and keeping in mm. mind you can throw in Buddhahood or Socrates hood as well. All game B, all game B. <laughs> um, logos oriented sages. Yeah, 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 effectively yeah, yeah. what they're doing in a way is like it's like you have the rupture, you have the going out from home so to speak, and then there's a possibility of coming back to home in this game be transcendent way, which is like fully integrating um, reality in such a way where you both have agency, so that's my shutter, um, uh-huh. not an angry god, um, agency and um, and no agency at all because you're just accepting things as they sort of are and as they're coming. So it really speaks to the sort of the the deep, the deep meaningfulness and and the the radically state shifting, um, like modality transcending. You know, it's heart opening. It's changing the conception of time. Mm-hmm. Everything is, everything is being changed in this, um, and I think you've said it earlier, but like psycho spiritual crisis is a pretty good frame for the breakdown. Now I think, um, and you can say that Islam has been in that for like a hundred years already since the clash with modernity. Um, and we are experiencing our own version of it. Mm-hmm. It's a bad trip. Um, <laughs> so yeah. in a bad trip, you uh, there's a kind of inflection and acceleration towards some like difficult thing, which needs to be like 
sort of worked with and accepted and integrated in order to afford like a transcendence to like a sort of peace peace on the other side of of the enormous mounting tension and energy um that's not being like rightly sort of channeled and um and released and related with and so this this power exuberance thing is like right on the mm. right on the money so it mm. seems like you're exactly where you need to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean <clears throat> no this is one of these things that's just um inexhaustible in some ways uh well we'll see you know a lot of i think what where i hope i can play a role is in um coming up with the practices you know the practices of working with it and fleshing it out because it seems to be um <clears throat> yeah vital um and, and help other people also do that and uh, we're already trying to do that of course with perspectiva so that's great but the forms like the, the how you know that is uh, the road before us um First, of course, these things often have has have to be become explicit as as problems or part of the problems, and conceptualizing it like and as, as, as the same as other notions, like what you said about time, you know, temporics as a specific area of inquiry, working with our notion of time. Um, Yeah, there are just many, many others. Power is just, of course, one of them. Um, <clears throat> so I think that is important, you know. And um, and here is, yeah, as you say, where the work needs to be done. Um, so and I and I like it, you know, because it's just uh, here is also where you can find the joy, right, in experimentation. And um, yeah, where it's where it's both important. Uh, and and you can have joy of discovery, you know, where you have to hold things lightly. You can't take yourself too seriously. So you have to have like this sincere irony that is often thrown around, of course, in the metamodern scene, that term, we use it as well. So, so all that I think are some, well, just some of the ingredients that, um, yeah, like that laid a groundwork for it before we really can engage with the question in serious ways. All our grappling with it, you know, the, like in the, the social justice fringe. No, they're just ways of grappling with these bigger questions because like I think power is, is you know, a logos, as you point out, and a Christian logos also has a power, right, to cohere and to, um, and, and so we need to be very conscious of that. Like, first of all, through the language that we use, and what are the force of the imagination? And what are the practices that afford that like clear out this affordance space for for working with these notions both ontologically and epistemologically, um, our embodiment and our aspirations. So so yeah, you know, it's um, <clears throat> it's rich. It's um, I feel grateful, you know, to 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 have that, and that you're also happy to hear that this is also like where you kind of are converging on. So it's it's important. I mean, you could do a whole series on this, right? Just on this, just on power. So, what do you think? Is this a good note to end? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I feel like I have it. I've been going at it for. Two I have a wild shot that's going out of control now. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's good. But, um, I think just sort of bringing 
bringing recognition that it's like a very sort of personal, um, there's a sort of personal Evo flavor of the contribution that you're bringing mm. to it. And the, the meaningful individuation and distinction of character that each person is bringing is, is valuable. And you've kind of brought some of that out, like mm. in this, in the, in the, in the space, in the space that is afforded, which is of course, you know, yeah, thanks. one half of the sense space, um, invocation and invitation. Um, and, but also this like kind of, you know, lightness or like playfulness, just like not, you're not letting it get out of, out of hand and like letting us sort of run off too far on, um, I, I get better trails without coming back to what's it sounds like I got to watch out for. Yeah. 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 I can just sometimes just run off in a direction and when, what, what was I talking about or what point was I trying to make? <laughs> yeah. It's rabbit holes. All thanks. Like I, I love these uh, reflections back. Like it's, uh, it's helpful for me. This is very much an experiment also in being visible. I tend to kind of stay, want to stay out of the spotlight. So, you know, <clears throat> also for for reasons of expression, and I don't feel like I express myself very clearly often, and um, so this is this is kind of a, a training for me to um, to see where what it goes, you know, where it goes. I had fun, you know. That's that that's definitely one one important thing. So um, I, I hope uh, the people like listening to this also think it's uh, somewhat valuable. Apologies for my swearing. Um, you know, so. <laughs> I love doing that. And, uh, you know, I wanted to have you on. You're like one of the first people I reached out to, and it took us a really long time to. Yeah. Yeah, true. Nice little sort of looping from the start of the, of the project and before right. it. Yeah. So I cool, man. Plug it there. And thank uh, you. Hit the end record, but thanks. Thanks for coming on, Eva. Thank you, Jacob. Mm -hmm.